0: We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky.
1: Hello, my friends. You know, I was thinking about it. Life is hard and relationships are hard, Right. And it hurts to hurt. Therefore, I think it's natural for a lot of people to either bury or tuck away their pain and pretend or maybe even believe that it isn't there. You know, years ago, I was struggling with a four month long bout with bronchitis. One of my spiritual teachers said, You know, Tammy, I think you have some unprocessed grief. As she said that, some tears started to well up in my eyes. And then I said, But I don't know what about or why. She said the details didn't matter, but I would benefit from allowing all the tears that were in me out of me. I love this saying from Ann Williamson, if we have a hundred tears to cry, 98 will not be enough. So I decided to give myself permission to feel all of my feelings and cry my tears. I allowed myself the time and space to process all of my hurt. And though it wasn't necessarily fun, on the other side, I experienced a sense of freedom, peace, and finally being at home within myself. Today, my life works much better now that the gray fog of grief has been lifted, and I know from personal experience how important, powerful, and helpful it is to release our past pain. I'm very happy and honored to be able to have this conversation about this very important subject today with my guest and grief expert, Russell Friedman. Russell Friedman arrived at the Grief Recovery Institute in 1986 on the heels of a second divorce and a bankruptcy. After dealing with the enormous emotion caused by those and other losses, he began a rigorous training under the guidance of Institute founder, John W. James. Eventually, he became a partner and co-authored the Grief Recovery Handbook, When Children Grieve, and Moving On. Together, Russell and John co-developed the Grief Recovery Method Support Group, which has helped more than a million people rebuild their lives after crippling losses. Russell has become the go-to grief recovery expert on CNN. He's made a number of media appearances in the aftermath of national tragedies, is also a guest lecturer at academic institutions, and has consulted with major companies who are learning that unresolved loss has a negative impact in the workplace. So Russell Friedman, thank you for being here today on Journey to Center.
0: My pleasure, Tammy. Uh, and I, You know, Even though you and I talked a little bit before we started this, it was such a pleasure talking to you. I knew this was just going to be a (laughs) glorious hour.
1: Glorious, and I feel so important. So important. (laughs) I had no idea, as it sounds like you didn't, as I read about you and your story and your books, that I had so much Grief, so much heaviness in my heart just from life in its natural color. So I really want to talk a little bit about how you came to be this grief expert that you are today. Let's share a little bit of your backstory.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting story. I tell it one way, and my partner, John W. James, the founder, tells it another. I like my story better. They're both true, but here's how it happens. One day, a little over 28 years ago, a friend of mine invited me to go to a little uh, – to a, 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 a kind of a seminar near the airport. And it was an all-day seminar, and the, the speaker was this fellow John W. James, who is now the founder of the Grief Recovery Institute and my partner now. And uh, uh, I didn't know him from Adam – And I showed up, and I knew nothing about grief, but I was on the heels, as you mentioned, of my second divorce and a bankruptcy for half a million dollars, which may not sound like a lot of money today. It's still a lot of money then or now. But the bottom line is I was crushed. I was devastated and or but I did not realize until I saw John talk that day that grief is not limited to the impact of death. -hmm. Divorce is a huge grief issue and here I had two. Um, Bankruptcy is one of the major financial grief events that affects every fiber of our being, including how we see ourselves, male or female, how you relate to yourself has to do with how we appear in society and what we have and don't have. So the combination of the second divorce and bankruptcy have brought me to my knees. And on that famous day, I met John James. At a break, I got his card. I spent the day, we did a little exercise. There was a couple hundred people. I had no longer had a car. It had been repossessed literally by a repo man. And I'm looking at this card and some part of my brain says, oh, I think I'll call this guy and thank him. So I get on the phone. I call the number and a voice answers Grief Recovery Institute. And I say, John W. James, please. And the voice says, speaking. And then I said, Hi, my name is Russell. I was at that event at the airport yesterday, and I just wanted to thank you. And he said, you're welcome. And then there was a pause, Tammy. And then a voice came out of my mouth, of the same mouth I'm talking from now, and it it said, I want to volunteer to work for you. And I looked around my apartment, and I was the only one there. And I I had no idea. I had no concept I was going to say that. Then then there was a big pause. And John, I can imagine knowing him the way I do now, is going, who's this guy? He could be an axe murderer. (laughs) He said, well, (laughs) he said, can you come up to the office tomorrow and we'll talk? And I did. Mm-hmm. Now, when John tells the story, he said, Russell came up to the office one day 28 years ago, and I haven't been able to get rid of him yet. So we've become <laughs> friends, with partners, we write books together. You know, John's very he says things in a couple of words, it takes me a couple of pages. And that's one of the glories of our partnership in grief recovery. We have different styles, but the content in terms of helping grievers, using the fact that we have been helped, by the method that he created and that Mm -hmm. he and I have refined. And it helps everyone deal with any loss, not just death, not just divorce, not just bankruptcy, not just moving, not just financial or health issues, not just career issues, spiritual issues. So the process is universal, although it is applied individually and uniquely to each griever, either one-on-one or in a group. And, you know, as I get older, I am more and more proud, as I know John is, that we have a legacy of something that he and we created that helps anybody who's willing. And that's the key, Tammy. We, mm-hmm. we, we don't believe in intervention when it comes to grief recovery. You must have a willing participant or you don't have a participant. So if anyone asks for help, we can give it. We don't force it on anyone. We have to wait for yes. them to ask.
1: I know how important that is. So, Russell, I did not know I had grief. I had no idea. I knew I I was sick a lot. I knew, it, you know, life seemed gray, but I thought that was just the normal landscape of being human. How do we know? If somebody's listening, how do they know? How can they take inventory? Oh, wow, maybe I do have some unprocessed grief. Maybe it would be good for me to pick up Russell's book or something. How do we know?
0: Well, you know, that's a glorious question. And as you were talking about it, reminded me of an old acquaintance of John's and mine, and I think she's still around, who's Louise Hay. Uh, Louise Hay, who wrote that you know the the book yes. with the heart, How the to, rainbow and on it. Uh, yeah, she's she's also West Hollywood, um, but but and and she talks a lot about grief, not in those terms, but in her book, she recommends people to our books. Interestingly enough, now to answer your question, here's a statement: unresolved grief drains energy and Rob's choice. So one of the things that you might have looked at if someone had directed you or said, you know, you know, Tammy, have you experienced a kind of a loss of energy? Do you wake up tired? Do you find it's difficult to make choices or that you just don't make choices? Or the choices you make keep being the same things that sabotage you? And I, let's add a third thing. There is a, can be, a monstrous physiological impact of unresolved grief. Um, mm-hmm. Your body is not designed to contain feelings. Your body is designed to process feelings in the moment you have them. In fact, I'm sure you teach that. You know, you're really bright and everything. But when, it's a, when grief is the centerpiece and you're not processing it, you're keeping it in because we were all taught not to share our grief, to not talk about it, you know, right. we were taught laugh and the whole world laughs with you, cry and you cry alone. So many of us learn to stuff our feelings, to pull them down, but the body doesn't like that. So the illnesses and conditions that accrued in you as a probable direct result of not knowing how or when or a method to process your grief may have done the injuries. The body, you know, without getting woo-woo or alternative here, there's a flow of energy that needs not to be interrupted, not to be trapped. Well, when you hold on to the grief, you're trapping all the energy, which makes all your systems work badly. In fact, mm-hmm. Once while delivering a training, I was talking about the impact of of unresolved grief on the body, the kind of conditions like ulcers, although that's a virus, but ulcers and irritable bowel and all the kinds of things that can accrue to people who don't process feelings. We also talked about heart attacks and other things. And in that particular training, there was a heart surgeon a friend of mine who was going through a horrendous divorce. So when I said that, I looked over at him and I said, Butch, you know, I'm not a doctor. Is what I'm saying making sense? He said, yes, only one condition. In order for the unresolved grief to affect your heart, you must have a predisposition to a weak heart. He said, otherwise, it will find the weakest link in your body, whatever the weak spot, your back, your neck, your tummy, which is very parallel to some of the stuff that Louise Hay and others talk about. Here, we just apply it very specifically to grief and, more importantly, to grief recovery.
1: I know of what you speak is profound truth. And uh, I don't think you. it's so vital to feel our feelings like, you know, babies, they feel their feelings. They're happy, then they're sad and they cry and then it's over. They burp it out. But we are taught not to show our feelings. Big boys don't cry. I grew up hearing I don't care what you think or you feel. You just do what you're told and you take that stuff so literally and you disconnect from your ability to process yeah. feelings. Yeah.
0: And so- what happened is that in a crisis, we go back to old behavior or old beliefs. So what you learned when you're two, three, four, five, when there's a Mm -hmm. crisis now, you all leap backwards over everything you've learned that's different than that all the valuable things you have go out the window and your brain body heart and soul go back to stuff that was incorrect when you were two but you memorized it okay so my spouse and i along with my stepdaughter are the three guardians you know parental guardians of this little girl and i am watching with glory tammy the decibel level at which she communicates her happiness, the decimal level (laughs) that she communicates her sadness, and her ability to go faster than you can imagine from happy to sad or back to happy or back to neutral, and you're going, what happened? How does she do that? And can I do that without being a squalling infant? And I try to pattern my life based on being in grief recovery and at communicating those feelings in the moment they have them, obviously in age-appropriate ways, but not leaving anything trapped in my body where it can hurt me. So, you know, to kind of bring this whole thing full circle, anything you leave inside will hurt you. Anything you let outside, if you do it appropriately will help you and won't really hurt others.
1: Mm, that's so awesome. And I do I do know there are a lot of ways of processing grief. I did a lot of painting with red and black. I think you can dance it out, scream it out. Do you have some suggestions to be able to get that trapped energy up and out of your body?
0: Yeah, um, we do not necessarily, we don't disagree with the art uh, therapy and other kinds of their music and so on. We think they're wonderful ancillary things, but there's something for many people, it may have been different for you, that's missing. There's a need to communicate more specifically than in the graphic Mm -hmm. arts that that Mm -hmm. kind of define feelings and show them and get them up and out, but they don't complete things. For example, Mm -hmm. if I have hurt your feelings, I need to apologize to you. If you're living and if you'll let me talk to you, I will... Or come to your and say, "No, Tammy, I'm very sorry. I believe I said something rude to you yesterday. I apologize. Artwork doesn't make the apology. Prayer or right. other spiritual things don't make the apology. So in addition to any other aspect, I think what artwork and other things, they expose and communicate at one level that what is unfinished. Then there's usually a need either directly with a living person if they're accessible or indirectly if they've or, you you know, most of the time your ex-wife or ex-husband is not going to sit still while you read their beads and tell them what they did to you what you did to them. Right. They're just not interested. Right. So grief recovery helps people do indirectly because quite often it's involved with death, but also it's involved with people who are estranged from who we can't do it directly. So the method we have created gives a way to get the communication. Again, without dismissing the artwork, I think the artwork and other things, and and allow me to say this, are great discovery vehicles. They help us discover what's trapped inside of us but the next step is how do i complete or recover from the discovery so we think it's wonderful to have these grief recovery method tools to complete the discoveries that happen in any number of media you know i mean you can watch a movie and have it trigger things listen to music yes. particularly you yes. know and these last few days with the deaths of famous musicians most of mm-hmm. whom i knew david bowie was actually a friend of mine glenn fry mm-hmm. was a patron of my restaurant for years and you know i knew all the ego so this last few weeks of my life um, watching these people die has just been oh what an alarm bell it's ringing in me because I'm older than all of them <laughs> so, uh, and I don't mean to be humorous here it's really been a sad time a time yes. of reflection but a time to remember how important it is to have tools of grief if we can help people have tools for grief recovery before the losses happen they don't have to be scrambling around trying to figure out what we do Part of my reason for being on the air with you is to help introduce people to an idea that will help them in a crisis rather than them having to go figure it out when it's happening.
1: Yeah. I think that's fantastic. I think the work you're doing is really quite incredible and so important. Um, And I think, you know, and and I think you've said this as well, most people are ill prepared to deal with loss. It's
0: not something most of us are taught. Is that accurate? Well, it's, Accurate, but it needs a little something to piggyback. We are ill-prepared because grief is the normal and natural reaction to loss, yet almost everything you and I and everyone listening to us was taught is not normal, not natural, and not helpful. So when we were taught laughing the whole world laughs with you, crying your cry alone, we're taught not to talk about our feelings. Now, how do you process them if you can't talk about them? So you choke them down. The first thing we all learn is don't feel bad, tomorrow's another day, or don't feel bad, Auntie's in a better place when someone dies. So if it's normal to feel bad when something sad happens, but we're taught don't feel bad, then the default setting becomes incorrect. And like I said earlier, in a crisis, we go back to old beliefs or old behaviors, which are the default, which were planted in us many a time before the dawn of conscious memory. So we don't even know what that what's lodged in there that comes up and limits us comes from a place before we can most of us can remember we can't even identify that and yet when you had your first romantic breakup what you got was don't feel bad there are plenty of fish in the sea which was the first time you knew you had been dating a fish but that takes (laughs) don't feel bad (laughs) and puts it with replace the loss and yet i don't have to tell you tammy we don't Replace relationships. You must grieve and complete the relationship to your former spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend Mm -hmm. to allow you then to make a choice later to choose to go find a new mate, a new lover, a new friend. But if you are incomplete with the past, how are you going to trust the next lover? How are you going to be open and honest? And yet you're going to demand that they be open and honest, but you can't be. So as you can see, this is a complicated web that's weaved by taking normal and natural. Now, my little granddaughter has never been told by anyone not to feel bad. In fact, if any school teacher ever says that to her, they're going to have to deal with me. And I've been to the preschool and said, please don't tell Zoe not to feel bad. If she's sad or crying sad, I can see you're sad. You know, I, that's normal. Okay. Can you tell me what's going on? or not, and but never tell her not to feel bad. Why would you, for example, Tammy, if you call me up and say I'm having a great day, things are really great at home, things are great at work, would I go uh-uh, uh-uh, don't feel Don't good.
1: feel good.
0: <laughs> and yet the moment you tell someone you feel sad, they say don't feel bad, she's in a better place. So, We have to, our job in grief recovery is to correct the misinformation so people then can get the actions of grief recovery to help you deal with loss are actually relatively easy. The hardest part about everything we do is that it's too easy and people complicate it by intellectualizing it. Our job is to move grief 14 inches from the head to the heart. It's the heart that's broken when there's a loss, not the head. Yes, that's absolutely correct. So,
1: um. Russell, are there specific actions needed to move beyond loss? What, how do we know? What does it take to come to completion?
0: Okay. If you're over the age of five, then you have to learn, relearn what you would have known as naturally as a child. A child will naturally do grief and naturally do recovery because it is natural. But by the time you're five, they're telling you don't feel bad and time heals and all these other lies. So you have to go eliminate those lies. And then a simple series of actions, we help people do what's called a loss history graph, in which they put on paper the losses that have affected their life, the death, The divorces, the other issues emotional that have impacted them emotionally, estrangements from living people who should have been loved ones who aren't. And that action helps open up, it's a discovery process to see not only what has happened to me, but what I learned usually incorrectly. Then we help people choose one first, one, excuse me, one major relationship, someone important in their life who affected them, and teach them how to make a graph positive, negative, sweet, and sour, the things they might apologize for, the things they might need to forgive, the significant emotional statements that represent things they may or may not have said to that person. And we then put it in a letter format, not a grief letter, but a grief recovery document that helps communicate the unfinished business, which is really in the three categories, apologies, forgiveness, significant emotional statement. So rather than a newsletter, it's a completion letter because here are the things I think that I need to speak either directly or indirectly and I need to get them complete so they're not living inside my body and affecting me anymore so that I can move forward carrying fond memories, uh, not being as negatively impacted by the painful things that may have happened between us, and then I can move forward. Everybody says you got to let go and move on. They don't tell you how to do it. This method we have shows people how to do it with safety, with a um, confidentiality, not anonymity, but confidentiality, and allows them then to really retake a new position within their own emotional firmament and not have to go backwards in the crisis, but can go forwards with better tools.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. So We don't have a lot of time left here. I can't believe how fast this is going. There's so much I want to ask you. (laughs) Something I think is really important to touch on before I give you the opportunity to do a shout out where people can find you is what if we know someone that's grieving? We have somebody who's maybe lost someone important to them or they're hurting. What is the right thing to say? What is the wrong thing to say? What do we do? What do we say? How can we be with these people that are hurting?
0: Great question. I'll try to distill it into so it doesn't take an hour. I can do it a few moments. First order of business is to remember this little strange little image. Please, when you're talking to a friend who's grieving, be a heart with ears. Don't give advice they haven't asked for. Listen. They don't need to be... They're not broken. They're hurting, but they're not broken. They don't need to be fixed. They need to be heard. So you must listen to them. Uh, Now, what is the right thing to say? The truth is there is never a perfect right thing to say. Uh, What I do is teach a little paraphrase. So if I know if I heard that you had had a major loss and I knew what it was I might say gosh the next time I see you or talk I heard what happened Sammy, and I can't imagine what this has been like for you. Now, you'll notice my voice went up, which was, I turned a statement into a question. I can't imagine what this has been like for you. Now, I didn't say, and how has it made you feel? Because you'd say, oh, you idiot. What do you think? You know, my father got run over by a tractor. How do you think I feel? But I said, I can't imagine what this has been like for you, which opens up a way for you to talk to me safely without feeling attacked, without feeling interrogated. It's very gentle, non-interrogative. Yeah. And it, it's it what's interesting, Tammy, is that the word imagine is the most open-ended, soft, non-judgmental word in the English language. When I say, I can't imagine what it's been like for you, you are invited to talk to me with the idea that I won't judge. Now, when people listening to us use that phrase... Tell them. I will tell them right now. Please, you got to make sure you're not judgmental. You don't get an opinion about their feelings. I don't get an opinion about yours, nor you about mine. It's a question mm-hmm. of hearing. and Go. Wow. Gosh. Yeah. I imagine it might 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 have that effect. Now, the other thing to say because we don't know what to say is, gosh, Tammy, I heard what happened and I don't know what to say to you. And even with all my expertise, I could say that. And you would say, oh, please, let me hug you. You're the first person who didn't tell me not to feel bad because I've been feeling awful. And then every time I want to say how I feel, I'm afraid they're going to tell me I shouldn't feel that way. So saying I don't know what to say is a helpful statement because the vast majority of comments, more than 85 percent of the comments agree with Hear, are not helpful for them so either of those two okay delivered with that uplink in the voice which softens it non-interrogative will make them feel safe and then they might want to walk down the block or go to the park with you and tell you more you just have to listen effectively um, and you may or may not know how to drive them towards recovery but you've got to just hear them if you hear them you have done them the most massive service possible
1: that's so beautiful. That's, been, that's so helpful. That's so helpful for me and I know for everybody that's listening right now. Okay, Russell, we have a minute. Can you please tell people how they can get a copy of your book or how they can connect with you?
0: Absolutely. www.griefrecoverymethod.com All the books are available there. They're also available on Amazon. They're available on uh, barnesandnoble.com, all the main online booksellers, and in many of the stores. There are five books in order. The Grief Recovery Handbook, 20th Anniversary Edition, When Children Grieve, which is for adults to help children deal with death, divorce, pet loss, moving, and other losses. The third one is called Moving On, which is about Divorce and Other Romantic Endings, a powerful and helpful book that will help you not sabotage your future relationships based on the failures of the past. The fourth book is called Moving Beyond Loss, and the latest book is called The Grief Recovery Handbook for Pet Loss. I'm very, very proud of it. I think it's an important and necessary book.
1: We are going to do a show about that next week. So, Russell, we are out of time. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your heart and your compassion. You're doing great work. Keep it up. And to my listeners, thank Thanks for hanging out with us. Connect with us again soon, onward and upward. Bye for now.